Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 23 of Swimming Upstream. And tonight on the pod, guys, we're living the Wahoos life. We're going up to Northwest Florida and checking in with our boys with the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. And joining us to do so, very special guest on the show. We're so pleased that he agreed to join us at the end of a pretty exciting homestand here for the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. Uh, it's their lead broadcaster, Chris Garagiola. Chris, man, thanks so much for joining the show today. We know you have a game later on this Sunday, this afternoon. So for you to take the time to join me and Daniel to talk about this Wahoos team and Marlins organization as a whole, it's a true pleasure to have you in. So thank you so much. And how are you today? I'm good, man. Thanks guys for having me. You guys did so much work covering the Marlins, you know, for their fans. And I, I respect the hell out of that. So it, it was, it was pretty cool to have you guys invite me on here. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, we, we of course know who you are. We listen to you, me and Daniel daily. I'm sure a lot of our, our readers and listeners do as well. Uh, but just a short bio on you uh, for those of us who don't know you, how you got started in baseball and how you came to join the Wahoos organization. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, my baseball life kind of began the moment I was born. Most older people know my grandfather was a broadcaster for a long time, Joe Garicciola senior. Um, and then my, my dad junior just, same thing, got started in baseball in, in the 70s as like a lawyer with the Yankees, eventually became the general manager of the Diamondbacks in 98 when that whole franchise started. So just as a kid was like around the game, um, I thought I could maybe play. <laughs> Turns out I could not. So after after college, uh, I wanted to give broadcasting a try and I got an internship with the Cincinnati Reds in 2016. Over there, that's when I really fell in love with like radio and play by play because I got to sit in with Marty Brenneman, who's like a legend. Um, and so I wanted to actually get some reps after that season because obviously, you know, I didn't have any ability to try and jump straight into the bigs. So I learned about broadcasting internships. And at the time, the Reds AA affiliate was the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. And I applied, got the job, became the number two to this guy named Tommy Thrall. And I was there for two years, just getting three innings every home game. I loved it. it. It was a lot of work, but it was super cool to, to finally be doing radio. We changed affiliates in 2019 and joined the twins. And then obviously after that season, um, you know, our season was canceled and the way that major league baseball sort of took over and shifted everything. We had that new affiliation with Miami uh, in, in this 2021 season. So Tommy left after 18 to replace Marty Brenneman. Um, and so when that radio job became available, then, uh, then I was promoted to take over full time, and that's how we are are here, fellas. That's awesome. That's really awesome to hear. By the way, thank you for for joining us. Um, <laughs> really a pleasure having you. So, what I wanted to ask you, just kind of the first question here, is what were your thoughts when news broke on on Marlins taking over um, the Blue Wahoos as an affiliate? I mean, my, my first thought was like, it's got to be a record to have three different affiliates in three different seasons. Like all this work that you go in to prepare because you want to learn a little bit of like the history of a team and, you know, like what when we had the twins take over, it was like, all right, what are the last five years been like? What are the last 10 years been like? What have been these prospects? And it takes time. And so when we were the Marlins affiliate, I was like, oh, my God, like I got to do this over again now. And you know, I think for, for non-Marlin fans, like the casual baseball perspective of Miami is 
there's been some thin years. There's been not a lot of trips to the postseason. Obviously, there was some kind of ownership issues where I think that Marlins fans have been tested quite a bit. And I've experienced a little bit of this in Arizona with a couple of our teams where it's like, oh, my God, why don't you love us the way we love you? That sort of thing. But then I had a chance to look at the actual prospects um, over the last couple of seasons because, of course, the Marlins were still in our league and Jacksonville is the jumbo shrimp. And we always had success against them, but there were a couple names that popped up where it was like, oh, yeah, like that guy's going to be a big leaguer. Um, and and so I looked at, wow, OK, Blade, you know, first round pick, top five, Meyer, top five, Eater, Vanderbilt. You know, and then I look at, OK, Griffin Conine, are we going to get Jesus Sanchez? Is Lewin Diaz possibly going to come back? Because, of course, we had Lewin in 19 and and then he got traded literally after we played the shrimp. So seeing those guys and kind of where they slot in, I was like, you know, we have the chance to maybe be a good team if the right guys fall. And then when that when we saw the opening day roster, I was like, oh, yeah, like this is going to be a fun <laughs> season. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, I guess just going off of, um, you know, those of us who haven't been to Pensacola, myself and, and Daniel included, uh, you've obviously been there for a while and you've been around that park and atmosphere a lot. We got the chance to talk to Quint not too long ago about how he brought the park to Pensacola and where he located it and, and, and everything like that. I just want to ask, what is a typical game night like in Pensacola down by the Bay? That park looks beautiful. I can't wait to get there myself. But yeah, just, just what's, a, what's a typical minor league baseball night like in Pensacola? It's definitely different than I would say 90% of, of minor league parks where it, it's going to draw every night. And, and I talked to some of our players because, you know, they came from Clinton before obviously the restructuring in, in Jupiter as well. Like I, or I respect the Florida state league or the former Florida state league, but man, like it must be taught for like 140 games where, you know, you might get a handful of a hundred people, a couple hundred people, and these guys come here and you got 5,038, which is a sellout for us every Saturday. We've sold out every single Saturday, um, you know, Friday nights packed. And I, I noticed where post pandemic people really wanted to go out again. And they wanted to socialize. So that was a huge W for us because it was like, do people feel safe? Do they feel comfortable going to the ballpark to be more specific with your question? What's a general night? Like, I mean, you know, Fans would show up early. They'd want to try and get some autographs from players, maybe get some photos like music is bumping. We, we spent a lot of money kind of reinvesting into the stadium and the concession. So, you know, people like to show up, get some good food, like enjoy the breeze that's coming in off the water. You always have two groups of people, the people who are here for the first time and people who come back repeatedly. And we want to try and make sure that like they're getting that experience of being at the park for the very first time even if it's been your sixth or seventh or 10th game, your season ticket holder. So I want you guys to get out, man, and check out the booth and check out the view. Cause like the only other stadium I compare it to is AT&T park, or at least I think it's now Oracle park in San Francisco, where you literally look out in right field and there's the water. I know great American yeah. in Cincinnati is like that AT&T field in Chattanooga just kind of has the river, but dude, when the sun's hitting that Bay, like in right field, it's, there's nothing like it. Yeah, I've been. To I'll definitely take you up on that. <laughs> we definitely yeah, will. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, we've, we've, I've personally have been to, to AT&T Park in San Francisco myself, and it's awesome. So definitely have those vibes. Um, we'll get to some player centric with you, Chris. Uh, I'll go first, I guess, and then Daniel will go. Um, but yeah, I guess the, the biggest one we have to ask on is these two guys that are out of the draft. And you kind of mentioned it already with, with Max Meyer 
and, and Jake Eater. I had a, a chance to ask Kim Ang not too long ago about you know how rare is it for two guys to come straight out of a draft to get pushed straight up to double A baseball and look what they're doing. Like, I, I mean, I guess that's one of the biggest stories in this Marlins organization. So yeah, um, just your thoughts on those two guys uh, and what they've been able to do to start their careers. Really awesome. It is, it is surprising um, because of how difficult that leap is. And I think that speaks to how elite the stuff is that they possess. We talked about it with Meyer, right? Like when his slider is on and when I mean on, it's both right. That back door, I'm going to get left-handers and I'm just going to have it just crease that outside edge for a call third strike. And then when he wants to get a swing and miss, you can kind of, you can see the wheels turning a little bit like, yeah, I'm going to spin this in the dirt and guys just cannot resist because it comes out of the hand with that tunneling and it looks like a heater. And then that thing just drops and like the hitters look helpless almost at times. So I, you got to remember with prospects, like you want to see major league ready attributes. Like even if it's one tool, at least you can then be like, all right, well, his speed is big league or his hit tool is big league. Even if everything else isn't really there and you can kind of project where someone's going to slot in. So for Meyer to see like already what I think to be an above average major league slider now you're looking like, all right, worst, worst, worst case scenario. This guy is coming out of our bullpen, maybe sixth inning, seventh inning, a little bit better. You're like, okay, he could be a setup guy, potentially closer. If you want to tap out the fastball at like 97, 98, maybe even 99. Now you're looking like best case scenario. He develops three pitches, the changeup, late bloomer, but it comes in. You're talking maybe a two, three playoff guy. Like this should excite you because now you're just filling the holes that major league teams have to try and fill. So that's just Meyer. And then Eater, it's like, okay, you know, again, double A jumps really tough. And this guy didn't get a lot of reps as a starter at Vanderbilt because obviously like his season was cut short. So when he takes a no hitter in the fifth in his first start, I'm like, all right, like, you know, hitters <laughs> always, it's a, it's a slow start for them. Pitchers have an advantage. Like maybe it's a little fluky. Then his next start, he takes a no hitter, like, I think in four or something like that. And I was like, what the hell is going on right now? Like this guy's, this guy's out of control. And like, we're still waiting for the ERA to go up. And I checked day after day and he's like top five, top five, top five. So right now eater is the more complete guy because you know, the fastball is a little bit firmer consistently like at 95, 96, He's got a slider. He's got a curveball he can also throw in for a strike. And he pounds the zone a lot more with his fastball. So he had a rough outing and by rough, right? Like he just right. grind, grinded through six innings against Chattanooga. And I, and I talked about it over the air, both with Meyer and Eater. It was impressive to see them have to work through nights where they didn't have their best stuff because young guys will not typically, but it's not surprising to see them just kind of quit where it's like, ah, I don't have it. Like, whatever, you know, like, I'll, you just flush it. It's part of baseball. But I want to see guys that that compete. They're on the road. It was a dead atmosphere. God, it was brutal over there. Like, <laughs> and he just found a way to give you six. And that's still like a quality start. And, and when you can get a quality start from one of your aces on a bad night, like, and that carries over you're going to find ways to avoid those long losing streaks. And that's like, I always think about like what they can do in the big leagues. And, you know, when Washington in 2019, like they had their world series run after that 1931 start, like when you have Corbin Scherzer Strasburg, it's hard to lose like five, six in a row because you're just going to get a quality outing from one of them. And right now the double a level, we just can't go on one of those bad runs because like, especially now that we got Cabrera with us, you look at those three, 
Dude, find me a better top three right now in minor league <laughs> baseball. Like I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it with anybody. Cause there's no way exactly. Like we're, we're so stacked right now and you can see how it's going to translate at that highest level. And exactly right there. What you mentioned about having that kind of talent in your rotation is what the Marlins are trying to build. You know, they have Sandy Alcantara, they have um, Pablo Lopez, they have Trevor Rogers. We were really cool. You know, Max Meyer is right there. Um, we're, we're seeing what we can get an eater, but there, that's the other guy. And you just mentioned him that I wanted to ask you about Eddie Cabrera. He <laughs> seems very close and he just had his, his, um, first, I would say kind of real start, you know, I would consider Jupiter being a rehab start double a, I mean, that's upper, upper levels of the minor leagues. To me, that's a real start. What were your thoughts on his start and, and how he's going to, you know, how, how, how he looks as a, as a future starting pitcher for the Marlins. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely see starting pitcher, right. right. In a major league rotation, um, which is like the highest compliment I think you can give to a pitcher. And I think it's one that can be, you know, a, a contributor to a playoff winning team. So the way that he carried himself on the mound yesterday, right. I, and I knew it was a pretty strict limitation, um, 75 pitches. And I thought that, you know, if he finishes at like 69, 70, they don't want to have him go over that. And it just looked effortless. Right. And like, you know, first pitch hundred miles per hour. Right. He was just trying to get a feel of like, okay, you know, is my slider going to break this much? There was some pitches where I was like 94, like, is that a changeup or a fastball? Because I want to say that's a fastball, but like, I don't think it was a fastball. Like, that's insane. You know what I mean? So he just looked like a big league pitcher on the mound, you know, and Eater and Meyer right now, I'm not going to say they look that way because they don't. And I just don't want to exaggerate or fluff feathers or stuff like that. They have work to do. I respected when Kim Ang was like, I don't want to see them pitch in the major leagues this year. And I talked about it last night. Like, neither do I. They have to not just dominate, but they have to be throwing major league caliber stuff in double a, and that will sort of prove itself over time. But with Cabrera, he's already pitched in double a before he put up really good numbers in Jacksonville. Um, I think that this year, if he doesn't tweak anything, like he would have maybe broke camp with the Marlins. And certainly as you saw injuries sort of pick up in six to not obviously being ready to go. Like he'd have been a perfect guy to slide in there, but I'm telling you like watch his next couple of outings and you might see a guy look kind of bored on the mound. And to me, that's like, this level's just not competitive enough for him. And that's just what you want to see. So I I wish there was a more like complex, long winded way of saying like how good he is, but dude struck out seven and four and a third. He, he just threw a get me over fastball at 99 over the outside quarter. And uh, Cardenas just put a good swing on it with the wind blowing out to left. Like, uh, you know, that was the only mistake pitch gives up a run, whatever, that yeah, was probably 50- not getting out in, in Marlins Park, out of Marlins Park, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing Marlins Park doesn't have 25 mile an hour wind blowing out <laughs> from a tropical storm to left. So, you know, like it's it. He's he's fine. I I wish that we could have him through like the end of July, but like we'll probably have him for you know like three more weeks, and then he'll just zip on right up to the next level. Yeah, just just casually throwing 92, 93 mile an hour changeups, no big deal, ridiculous. <laughs> Anyways, we'll go on. Um, I guess the next the next story we're gonna get to is, is the outfield. I asked you about this actually during one of your games, and you were nice enough to 
to address it on the air a little bit about, about how this outfield is going. It's kind of a little different story than when I asked you about it up till now, because these guys have kind of turned it on a little bit with, with Blade and, and Peyton Burdick, who both kind of started out a little slow and now they're, they're both doing really well. You see Burdick last night with a walk-off, you hit a grand slam, another walk-off hit mixed in there somewhere earlier down the line. So just what you've seen, you know, from how they started the season up until now and where you think that they will be going by the end of this season. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to see Bleday obviously turning things around because I think a lot of people get worried when that average is dropping around like 125, 130. But, you know, since the month of June started, I think he's hitting like 305. And if he had just done it at the beginning of the year, people would have been like, see, like, you know, best hitter <laughs> in minor league baseball. So it, I'm glad that people were patient with him. Uh, I think that he still has some areas where he needs to improve a little bit. Um and, and uh, this is just my opinion, right? Like if you want something concrete, you got to talk to a scout or a coach or something like that. I just think that he's still trying to process the way that teams approach him and attack him. He's still going to have to try and figure out how to hit breaking balls with authority. Um, you know, he's pretty good with changeups left up in the zone. That one he hit in Chattanooga was like belt high at, I don't know, 83 or something and hit it over the freaking moon. So you know, being able to just turn around more fastballs and more and more sliders, especially when they try and backdoor him because they shift him right side. Like that's obviously an area to improve and cutting down on strikeouts. Burdick, man, it's like it's so interesting because he's hitting around like 210, 215, and you would think that that's kind of a bummer, but like league leader in extra base hits leads the league in walks, and his strikeout rate has gone down like over the past month. So the only thing he needs to do is just get more consistent, like hard contact, right? Because when he does hit it hard, it's either a double, a triple or a homer for the most part. And when he takes some of these big swings, he'll get jammed and you'll see like pop-ups to first pop-ups to like shallow, right? So to me, it's just about being more consistent. And I think that might happen when he gets promoted to triple a, which, you know, could happen at some point this year, it might be at the start of next season. Who knows? But when he gets to a level where guys throw more strikes, because as you guys know, in double A, the big difference between any level below that is guys throw those secondary pitches in hitter friendly counts. They throw them in full counts and they throw them for strikes. So when yeah. you're at 2-0 and you're sitting heater like Burdick is, who can hit it like he did for the grand slam or the, the walk off in game one then he gets a slider and you're just like, dude, like, come on. All right. Like now it's two one and you got the slider in the back of your mind. He could spin another one. He could sneak a fastball like inside on the hands and you're sitting slide piece. And you're like, dude, like, come on. <laughs> and now, and now you have to grind. So that's what learning here's about. And, and like jazz Chisholm, right. I saw him in double a Jackson when he was at D backs farmhand dude was hitting like one fifteen with 16 taters. Like it made absolutely no sense. I was like, what kind of player are you? And now he's in the big leagues hitting what, like 260, 270. You're still getting that power production. Why? Because guys throw a lot more strikes and he is one of those rare guys that can get the fastball. That's way up in the zone. Like you see Otani do it, right? Like Otani and Chisholm, they just get it, elevate and celebrate and like can crank yep. them out to right. So that's what I see with Burdick. We've seen it with a handful of guys before and, like if he can just make some tweaks here and there and get the average a little bit higher, I think it'll play to his confidence, but he's a super, super confident player. And he's a guy I'd definitely be excited about. And he's adjusting, right? I mean, he's last season he played was with uh single a right with, with Clinton. 
So he basically just passed right over high A, which I'd say is a pretty important developmental uh, level and just wanted to double it. So you can see the powers there. He just need to adjust. That, that's it. Just adjust to getting more contact on the ball. But I mean, he just looks amazing. I mean, the kid's so good. Yeah. But defensively as well, like th that's mm -hmm. also important. The reads off the bat, the speed, the effort, like, you know, the, the arm is, is okay, but not everyone is gifted with, with like a huge arm coming out of center field or right field. And like what you want to do and what I have to remind like fans and you guys are certainly more than fans with the way that you cover this team is like, you want to look at prospects and say like, can they make it in the major leagues? You don't want to look at like Blade and see yourself like, all right, six time all-star like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, yeah. If you can, as a major league team, take one guy every year from your minor leagues, plug him into your 25 man and have that guy just contribute every single year. That's how you build like a consistent team. Like I look at the Dodgers, obviously, and, you know, love them or hate them, but like that model of consistency and the way they develop guys, Dustin May, like, is he going to be a, a multi Cy Young winner? N no, probably not. But that's a guy who right when he came out of the minor leagues was ready to pitch in the postseason and just get some outs in important situations. And like you look at the Marlins right now, they are getting hurt quite a bit, unfortunately. And if this team were really healthy, I'm telling you, as you got, you guys already know, right. We're drinking the Kool-Aid together. That's a team that can get this very gettable national league East. But when you lose so many different guys, like key starters, whether it's six stone, the start, that's supposed to be like the top of your rotation with a guy like Sanchez. And thankfully, like, our boy Rogers, like, can we just pencil him in for rookie of the year right now? Easy. Like, like the stuff, the stuff is insane. Okay. And then like, you know, we're looking at injuries in the outfield and we're looking at him at the infield as well. And the catching play isn't consistent. Like, so when you, when you're able to start having that pool, bring in a player like a Diaz or like a Sanchez and not worry about like, well, gosh, he's going to have to try and get his feet wet. Like we're here come the growing pains for two weeks. That's how you guys build together like consecutive winning seasons. And I think the Marlins are on the cusp of that, but like you're seeing right now, just those deficiencies and like, that's, that's why the team is where they're at. I think. Exactly. That's exactly right. I want to move over to ask you um, about something that normally never gets asked about in, in minor leagues and in, in rosters. And that's the bullpen, you know, the Wahoos bullpen I've been so impressed with it. Uh, Gunther, he's already uh, with AAA, but he was just crazy amazing. Then you have guys like Dylan Bice, Colton Hawk, Stevens. I mean, they're just killing it. What are your thoughts on those guys? And then maybe what do you see in, in them? Do you see maybe a future uh, Marlins for any of them? What are your takes? Yeah, I mean – look as, as a broadcaster, as a fan of baseball with games under three hours, like your bullpen is pretty much the key for that sort of thing. Cause I've, we've already <laughs> seen a few teams in our league that the bullpen's a little shaky. Um, and yeah, it, it can be pretty ugly late. And the Wahoos have one of the best bullpens in franchise history. Like just, just, and, and looking at the guys who've already come and gone, like, obviously we wish that Anthony Maldonado, you know, was mm -hmm. feeling better. I don't have an injury update like on him. I think it's one of those where it wasn't as serious as maybe like he's got to get Tommy John, but it's not as light as like, ah, give it a week. And like, then he'll be back. So I have no idea, but guys knowing their roles and knowing what to do. And again, the ability to throw strikes, 
is so huge for that success. Um, and as I've talked about this team, second fewest walks allowed in double a baseball, like that tells you that guys understand, you know, what they're supposed to do coming out of the pen. And at the moment, isn't too big for them. I know we saw Josh Robertson, right. Got lit up in his double a debut. And now he comes into a pretty important situation last night, pitches almost a perfect inning, right. For his, I think third scoreless outing in a row. So, we're talking like laser fast adjustments for someone like him who, who's just getting his first taste of double A. And again, getting those contributions from guys from Beloit or what have you and seeing Gunther in triple A, right? Those guys moving up and contributing like you love. In terms of specifics, like, do I see these guys with Marlins? I'm not unfortunately going to give you a specific answer because I don't want to necessarily compromise relationship with a player where it's like, Oh yeah, I heard you don't think I'm going to make it like, thanks bro. You know, like, but again, you know, you want to measure the stuff itself because that's ultimately what plays in the big leagues. Um, so when you look at, you know, a fastball from Dylan Bice, who in his third inning of relief is still touching 96, 97, like that to me is exciting. Right. That's something where you can point your finger at and been like, all right, like at least I can see what it's going to look like in the major leagues. You know, Zach Wolf, that strikeout rate right now. I know he's been hit around a couple of times, but like, you know, when he's striking almost about 30 guys before he's given up 10 walks, like, okay, we can at least see what you're trying to do here. And now you're trying to figure out like if he can get that swing and miss rate in triple A, like you can at least see like where he's going to be successful and what his role might be in a Marlins bullpen, you know, there are starters that I've seen in Beloit where I think to myself, yeah, you're probably going to be in the big leagues as a reliever, but look, you want major league players. Who cares if it's a starter or if it's a reliever? Not everyone's going to be a starter. You only got five spots. I didn't think Rogers was going to be a starter. <laughs> Joke's on me. Like, you know what I mean? Like he seems to be just fine. So if Meyer and Eater, for example, if both of those can make it into your starting rotation. And again, I, I don't want like, oh yeah, they can do it. I want winners. You guys want winners in your starting rotation. If they can do that, that is such a huge edge. The Marlins will have moving forward because starting pitching is the hardest thing to find. And if they can't do it right. And who knows, do you really think the Marlins bullpen has a lot worse? There's become a lot worse because you add eater and that slider and, and, you know, or excuse me, Meyer the slider and then Eater, an, a legit three pitch mix coming out of the pen. Like that's a huge upgrade as well. So you're playing with house money at that point. And I think that again, you know, bullpen's just as important as the rotation. When you guys beat the Cubs, what in the, the shortened season, it wasn't because your starters were going eight innings and we're just flipping it to the closer, right? Like you got some yeah. solid play out of the pen. And that's also like what's going to help you win a division in, in, you know, the dog days of summer. Yeah, definitely. Mitzel, Bice, Hawk, Stevens. Like those those kids are impressive, man. Like as Daniel said, it's it's not something that's talked about a lot. You, you're focusing more on you know Eddie Cabrera and, and Meyer and Eater. But when we see that bullpen come in after those starters, man, and they just lock it down, that that's there's something to be said for that. So yeah, I'm I'm excited to see how those kids grow, um, especially with those names that I just mentioned, and then even more on top of that. So. Yeah, um, a question that's not probably asked to you a lot. So we, we did want to ask that one, and that was an awesome answer. But um, I guess just to get back to the last guy I want to talk about that's currently on the Wahoos at a positional standpoint is Gerard Encarnacion. Because this guy, and me and Daniel talk about it all the time, 
like earlier in his career, he was not hitting the ball opposite field. Like you look at his opposite field hit percentages and they're 20%, 30%. He was straight pull, head was flying up. Mechanics were, you know, straight pull hitter, awesome power, but all he could do was, was go to pull side. And now he's showing this amazing ability to stay back on the ball and hit the ball to his opposite field. So just your thoughts on that and how big of a development, do you think it's as big as I think it is? Cause I think it's huge for a player to show that he can go to all fields rather than just one. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think it's huge. Um, like right now I want to see more opposite field stuff from JJ Bladay, where when he does go to lefts and left center, it's usually off the end of the bat jam shot where, you know, mechanically maybe not what he was trying to do. And the result is just what ultimately ended up happening. Um, but Encarnacion, I almost wish he would go back to the pull side a little bit more because there's all that power that we know that's there. And like uh, almost all of his home runs have been to right field, which is awesome. That aspect of it reminds me of Trevor Larnick, who we had in 19, mm-hmm. where it's like that dude, big power hitting left-hander. And like, I swear to God, every single home run was to like dead center and like over the batter's eye. And I was like, you know, it's shorter in the right field corner, man. Like, <laughs> come on. But to me, like Encarnacion reminds me a lot of Aristides Aquino, who we had here in 17 and 18. He was a repeat guy in double A. And like both seasons, we're talking like a 230 or lower average and 18 or more homers. Like he set the franchise record for, for home runs in a season, I think, with, with 21. And what you're thinking to yourself there is, okay, good outfielder, huge arm, like good instincts, sneaky fast. Like Encarnacion's got that sneaky speed where he does. He, he can turn a single into a double, but more impressively, like off the bat, like he'll get a fantastic jump. And, you know, we don't obviously have the defensive metrics that they have uh, in, in the big leagues, but, you know, I'd be curious to see what his DRS is because I think that it's towards the top of outfielders like in our league. That's surprising, right? Because Jar has always been known as not – not an amazing outfielder. So mm-hmm. that's, that's really good to hear from a guy who sees him every day. No, I mean, it, it's, it's, it, it's not the smoothest per se, but like, you know, I don't know if it's from his playing days as a basketball player where like that first jump is, is really quick, but he doesn't look like a liability. Like we, there's some guys mm-hmm. that we've seen where I'm just sort of like, uh, like <laughs> it's an adventure out in the outfield at times. But the reason why I bring up Aquino is like, I think that these two are like almost the same player in double A. Okay. Where they strike out a bunch, they hit the ball hard a bunch. And you're thinking to yourself, like if you, if it just came together, like this guy, mm-hmm. because, because it is like legit power. Okay. That's big league power. That's like 20 to 30 home runs a season. If he can make those final adjustments of, you know, laying off a fastball that's just up the zone, right? He has a tendency to chase those. He's not really on top of like, I think he understands that's like, okay, teams are going to throw me a first pitch breaking ball, but like you can't sit first pitch breaking ball because what that does as a hitter is like, when I see the spin, I'm swinging. And so there's the spin. It starts in the strike zone. And then what does it do? It runs three inches off the plate. And you get the swing and miss. Like you, you have to not only identify it, but you got to identify it out of the hand. Okay. If it's in this spot, that means it's going to drop here, this part of the plate. I can pull the trigger. If not, like I got to lay off it. And then of course, like when he's sitting on the back of his mind of a slider, like then the fastball can sneak it in on his hands. And because he's trying to go to center field or back to right field, like you're going to get a swing and miss, or you're going to get like a broken bat jam shot. Like he had to first base the other day. And I know he reached on an error, but you know, exit velocity is probably like, you know, slower than the highway. So not exactly what you want there. 
all I'm going to say is when Aquino finally made the jump to the big leagues, he became the punisher, right? I think he had like over mm-hmm. 20 homers in like 50 games. And like, that's what Encarnacion can do. Right. But there's still more work to be done. I wouldn't be surprised if like this whole season is a huge learning curve for him. And look, if he makes the adjustments quickly, if he understands like what guys are trying to do, I mean, it's just, it's such a harder game for hitters than it is pitchers. Like, and you just, he is a bit more of a project. Same thing with someone like Alonzo, I think. And that's okay. Like, it's really okay to spend two years in double A. I know it sounds crazy. And you'd look at it and be like, what a failure. Because maybe other guys have jumped through. But like, Mm -hmm. I tried to talk about this yesterday. This was the norm 20 years ago. Like, guys were just in the minor leagues for four or five years, even if they were out of college. Because it was like, you need a thousand ABs. Like, you need to see what, you know, a major league slider is that's only thrown, I don't know, 30% successfully. Where in the big leagues, it's thrown, what, like 85% successfully? That's why they're yep. big leaguers. So he's got the stuff. He's got the tools. Will it translate this year? I don't know. I mean, we've seen it at its best. It's pretty awesome. But we've also seen those, those stretches where he's 0 for 12 with 9Ks, and you're sort of like, uh, like, what's happening here? So, you know, I would just <laughs> say – Great point. In the fact, and just really quick to mention this, where the game was in minor league baseball, where guys were getting all that time to figure things out. And then we look at what the Marlins are doing now, where they're calling up guys like Lewin Diaz, who is doing well lately. He hit a home run yesterday, which was great. And Jose Devers, who's now hurt, to sit on the bench and not get those reps. Man, I, I know we keep hitting on this, me and Daniel, if you listen back to our shows, we've talked about it a lot. But I mean, that strategy of, of calling these kids up before they're fully developed. I can't get behind that. I mean, I know it's, that's a tough subject, but it's a, um, it's, it's something that I I look at and I'm just like, we'll see how it goes because that's, that's rough to see these, these kids that are coming up before they're fully ready. I mean, I know the Marlins had their injury wars, which we talked about Chris and and they need to draw from this depth, but there's so many other guys that they could have gone to that are those lower tier level guys, these replacement level guys, instead of these top prospects that should be in Pensacola or should be in Jacksonville fully developing before they get up. So I mean, that's exactly right right there, Alex. So one thing is to bring them up before they're fully developed, you know, that's risky, but to do it and have them sit on the bench for two, three days, that's worse because one, I mean, it's one thing if they're getting at bats at the major league level, Yeah. but to just have, bring them up to, you know, get one at bat every two games, that's what you want to avoid. Yep. But yeah. Um, really quick here, Chris. Under the radar, guys. Um, I mean, Nick Fortes comes to mind. Like, who are those guys for you that maybe um, people don't talk about, but you see them and you're like, hey, keep an eye on this guy? Um, I mean, you literally said the guy that I was going to say, Nick <laughs> Fortes. Um, and if you, I, you guys listen to me broadcast, uh, I'm sure more than the average Marlin fan, but. I talk about it all the time, building out of the diamond, okay? And the hardest the hardest positions to get offensive production is center field, shortstop, second base, and catcher. And when you look at playoff teams for the most part or you look at good offenses, usually you've got a star or a, a serious contributor in one of those spots, right? Like Buster Posey anchoring down the San Francisco Giants for years, like – And then look at other teams and ask yourself, like, who are the really good catchers? Like the St. Louis Cardinals and Yadier Molina. It's just such a huge help when you're able to get that type of production in that diamond spot. So 
I'm not saying here that Fortez is the next Posey or anything like that, but the value of receiving pitches has gone up quite a bit in the last 10 years. And I don't see anyone who receives better than Fortez. It's, it's incredible, dude. Like the upper body is stoic. It is statuesque. Like, and, and by doing so just a little snap of the wrist and a pitch that's about a quarter inch to a full inch off the plate. Like he's getting calls. Like, He's able to frame breaking balls and like 96, 97 miles per hour on top of the fact that he's hitting almost 300. He's got an on-base percentage of almost 400. He does not strike out. Like when I think of guys, if I'm ranking them, like strikes out a lot, strikes out average, hardly strikes out. He's in the hardly strikeout category. Um, I saw his defensive metrics in, in high a uh, back in the last full season. And they're not quite as good. Uh, this year as they were then, but like he's, he's throwing out more base runners. Now he's back up to over 30%. And I think if you're in between 35 and 40%, that's like elite stuff when it comes to catching base runners. So he's doing all of that again in his first season of double a as well. So, you know, you're trying to think projections in the big leagues. Okay. Like I said, is it going to be like a 270, 280 average in the big leagues? Probably not. Like, but that dude could play 10 years in the bigs at like a 230, 240 average with all the other stuff he brings because you think about the value he's bringing to your pitchers, starters, and relievers. He's getting strike calls that change the complexion of an of singular at bat like over and over and over again. And like, does he is he going to be a future starting catcher? I don't know. But if he is, that's not a hole in the boat that's going to sink you. Like that, that can at least hold things over. And maybe there is another catcher that comes through the system at some point in, in five, 10 years, but that's, that's a winning element. And I think about it all the time, you know, covering double a, like, are these guys, cause like, look, I'm a fan too. Like I'm a diehard. I love my Arizona sports teams. And like, you know, now that I'm working with the Marlins, like I love to see the guys that we had do well in Cincinnati or mini, but like, we're here, baby. Like who toast Miami? Let's freaking go. Okay. So I want to see this team do well. And I want to see them win. And that's all that matters at the end of the day. Like the reason we throw on the uniforms in Pensacola and sell the popcorn and beer is because like we are helping develop these guys and giving them a venue to hopefully be contributors at the major league level and in a winning capacity. So I think Fortes down the road, like is going to help this team win and be an upgrade maybe from guys that you've had earlier this season. And if you keep plugging guys in and the team's getting better, then all you're going to do is go up. And, you know, I understand that Atlanta is the, the cream of the crop in the East. Many people projected them at the beginning of the year. You got some great pitching with New York, but you have not seen this full Marlins team at its capacity right now in a fledgling state. And like, like you said, man, if, if Lewin Diaz, if that translates to the big leagues, which I think it should, like that dude is really good. And I think it's an upgrade at first Devers, you know, I, he's going to be competing for a middle infield spot. Like and if it translates, like, you know, why can't he be like a, a, a poor man's version of, of Aussie Albies? Like he might not be a perennial all-star, but he might not be too far from that either. And like, that's the stuff that you need right now when we're talking about consistent play from the Marlins. And that's why I'm excited and frustrated like you guys at the same time. Amen, brother. <laughs> All right. We have uh, one more question to get to. Well, actually it's a question from, from, from Danny's brother, Marcelo. Uh, he had a question for you, and then I'll follow it up to end it. But I'll let Danny, since, of course, it's his his uh, his kin, I'll let him <laughs> ask the question from Marcelo. 
All right. Uh, his account, Twitter account, by the way, guys, give, give the kid a follow is at Marcelo 2L DeVivo. Um, so he asks, what differences, aside from players, does Chris see in how the Marlins manage the Blue Wahoos compared to how the Twins and Reds managed them when they were their affiliates? Can, can be anything from hitting and pitching philosophy to player treatment or front office involvement. Yeah, so uh, it's important that I begin this with, I don't believe that there is one version that's better than the other, right? Because like all three affiliates, even the Marlins in a short time have produced incredible talent. Like, like the way the Reds ran things was when Jesse Winker was certainly there and Winker's gone on to be like one of the best players in the National League. Like it's, it's very exciting to see that. We talk about Aquino. We talk about like Luis Castillo as well. Um, and so that's like all with the Reds. And then with the Twins, like the prospects they had there were quite frankly, like incredible, um, especially offensively with Kirilov, Royce Lewis, who we had big things for. And obviously he injured his ACL. Mm-hmm. And, and now with the Marlins, like I, I'm, very lucky to have like all this talent. So to answer the question specifically, I felt like with the Reds as you know, this is 2017 and 18, they were really starting to embrace the analytical side of the game, but they still left a lot of room for what I felt to be like traditional managing traditional field staff. Pat Kelly was like a father to me in pro ball. He was the manager, Danny Darwin, old school pitching coach. And those guys, you know, believed in the simplistic elements of the game. You know, PK was all about like, hey, look, you know, you need a day off, like, let me know. But when you're in, like, just just try, you know, that's what I that's what I care about. That's what it means to be a professional. That's what it means to be a man. That's what it means to be respectful to your teammates, because like if if another guy has a day off or doesn't get to play that often and he sees you dogging it, like what does that say to him and the effort that he puts in like that stuff was valued um, in a way that I think that spin rate was equally valued. You know, one wasn't necessarily better than the other. It's, I'm not, it's not a criticism. Okay. But like when Jake Eater has a perfect game through five at 62 pitches, the fan in me wants to see him go out for another inning and he gets taken out of the game. Minor league stats don't matter, fellas. They really don't. It's just a way of seeing how they're doing in their journey to the big leagues. It took me a while to get there. Believe me, I threw a bunch of fits about it. But the Reds in April, right? And they granted there was a full spring training, but in April, they let Tyler Malley, who was top five overall prospect in the system, go out and throw a perfect game. Now, granted, when you're throwing a perfecto, you're not going to run into too many long innings. You know what I mean? (laughs) Hard to work out of a jam when you got a perfect through seven. But, you know, that's still 90 plus pitches, one nothing game on the road. So you would think that's a little bit stressful. And I really liked him doing that because I think that like, even though minor league stats don't matter when you can say that, like, yeah, I threw a perfecto in double a, like you kind of need a little bit of an ego, especially as a pitcher. Like you kind of got to believe that, that your stuff's the best in the room, even if it's not. And doing stuff like that really, really helps. And by the way, that was the second time that Mally's thrown a perfect game in the minors gets the big leagues and he gets hit around. Like he's not doing well. And then this year, now he's pitching like the guy we thought he could be. And I think that he never stopped believing himself. And maybe he can look back at the stuff that he did. So that's the Reds perspective, right? A little bit of an old school approach mixed in with the new stuff. The Minnesota Twins, 
oh, I've never seen more cameras and laptops in my life. Like they're looking at everything. They're looking for every edge they can. Thad Levine, who's their general manager and president of the team, like believes in that sort of stuff. And like it, it worked. It took them from a middling. We're in last place in the American League Central to we're winning divisions now. We're sort of doing really well. I, I don't fully know what the hell has happened um, this year with the Twins. Yeah, right? because, like you would think that they would do better. I mean, we knew the White Sox were going to come along. They're in our, our you know, league as well. And so when you see guys like Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, uh, Michael Kopech, like you knew that the, the trouble was brewing in the South side, but I didn't expect this steep of a drop off. So it, it sucks to see for those guys, but it does mean more playing time from guys like Bailey Ober, you know, Kirilov's an everyday starter. Griffin Jacks just made his big league debut. So that's, that's cool as well, but they're like all in on analytics. Um, and I'm not going to say that the other stuff doesn't matter, but I just never really see them place an emphasis uh, on that stuff. They care about winning and they care about measuring the things that they can do to win. And that translates in double A and it translated up until this year at the big leagues. So that brings us to the Marlins, right? Like, what do we see here? I definitely see a lot of management and involvement from the front office they want guys to play certain days. They want to experiment and see, like, is there an edge if we bat this guy second versus batting third? We want them to get looks at different positions because they want that experience as well. So I don't think it's a 50-50 split from that old school viewpoint to the new school. I think it's probably close to like 70-30. But it's what's going to make them competitive. And quite frankly, like Brian McKenna was a no-nothing guy in independent baseball mm-hmm. in the same way that Randy Dobnak was in independent baseball. And like Dobnat pitched game three in the playoffs at Yankee State, or I think, I think game two was at Yankee Stadium. But like either way, somebody you never heard of being a legit major leaguer. Now he's struggling a little bit and hopefully he turns it around. But you're telling me you could take a guy like McKenna or a left-hander like Sean Gunther. I mean, if Sean Gunther becomes like an elite reliever, like in the major leagues, that's like the steal of the century, in my opinion, because I don't think anyone saw that coming. You know what I mean? Anthony Bender. Anthony Bender. Yeah, I was going to say. Better example, right? Because he's doing (laughs) it now. So it's like those are the kind of things that if the Marlins were not as analytically driven as they are now, those are players they would have missed. And like, fellas, we got to be realistic as well. You look at the Marlins. I know there's a change in ownership. This is not a team that's going to spend $200 million on their payroll. Like they're Mm -hmm. just not. Okay. And I wish they would. I wish every team spent more money. Because I think that a more competitive, every 30 team, every team of the 30 being more competitive is better for baseball. But like some teams just don't want to spend. So like, whatever, we're not going to get into it. But if you're not going to spend money, then the money you do spend has to be like a valuable investment in winning players. And so like guys like Anthony Bender um, or Rodgers as well, where it's like sidearm, really? Like, are we really just going to trust this? Because teams have done it before and it hasn't been so good. Like to me they seem to have a better understanding of what they're doing. I think the injuries right now are murking the water where it's like, is this guy as good? Like, like Devers to me is the perfect example. I really thought he should have started the year here. I thought we had a spot for him in the middle part of the infield. That's just my opinion. But like he gets jumped up to triple A and quite frankly, doesn't play poorly there. And so when you get these injuries stacking up, I know Chisholm had a little bit of a tweak and it's like, okay, well, we need somebody to play in this middle part of the infield. Let's just go with Devers. It's a lot and it's hopefully some good experience, but I think that he would do better with more time 
and maybe they see something from the analytics that tell them that he can handle it. And if that's the case, so be it. We'll see the length of a full season. We'll see what the numbers are and, and guys make adjustments and some guys don't. And it's a waiting game at that point. But for me, for the most part, Miami gets it right. Their pitching is elite. That's where you win. That's how you win divisions. And ultimately like, that's how you win titles. And like, that's why we suit them up, fellas. That's why we put on the cleats and the caps and, and open the gates. So I think it'll work in the long run. We'll see. Right now, to me, this is like the first of a three-year plan where if they're not if they're not like seriously better in three years, then it's sort of like, all right, maybe, maybe we're not doing something right here. But you guys, you see it. You see spurts where you're like, this is as good as it gets. And then you see other spots where it's like, yeah, what's happening in the NBA playoffs? Like, I'm going to check that out. So, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> great, great points. Um, I mean, I think the the only thing to take away that would be like something that you look at and say, why are they doing this this way? Is not how they're constructing their minor league rosters, but how they're bringing guys up at this time in their minor league careers, which I hit on before, and we continue to talk about is this guy really ready to be a major league baseball player or is he being rushed because of the injuries? And is there somebody else that you can call up other than this top 15, top 20 prospect to contribute to this not winning team? I mean, I, you know, it's, it's kind of gone South in terms well, of and it, wins. It, it, it goes, it goes both ways. Right. Because on the one hand, it's like, if someone is a top 20 prospect and you bring him up and he struggles, what do we say? It's too fast. It's too much too soon. What are you guys doing? And then the other side of the argument is you bring in sort of like an average to replacement player ability at the big league level. And that guy's playing every day for the Marlins and maybe he's not doing well. And you're like, why do we have this guy in here when we've got Jesus Sanchez and Lewin Diaz playing so well in triple a. So it's like, you know what I mean? Like until this team gets fully healthy, maybe they'll never get fully healthy in which case, like that's a problem in and of itself, you know, like Mm -hmm. look at the New York Mets. I mean, they've been not healthy for like six straight years at this point. And (laughs) So it's got to be just absolutely infuriating to be a fan of them. Mm-hmm. But if guys are certainly proving themselves at double A AA and triple A consistently, I think I'm happy to see Lewin Diaz in there. I personally, having seen him at the cover off the ball in double A with us doing it in triple A, same with Jesus Sanchez. I would like to see them play every single day for a couple months. That's it. But yeah, at this- getting at bats. Exactly. No play play. You want to see them play whatever level they're at. You want to see them getting the reps and playing. So to call them up and sit them on the bench. I, I don't like that personally at this point, it's, but it's tough. It's tough, but you got to remember like these guys want to win so badly. Like yeah. Derek cheater didn't just decide to stop playing and hop off the golf course. Cause he was like, Hey, you know what? It's fun to have like shrimp cocktails and taking a baseball. This guy's seen enough baseball games where it's like, he's fine. Never seeing another baseball game is freaking life. He's just such a dogged competitor and wants to win. And like, that's have faith in that. I would say, because like, look, as as a kid, my dad was a general manager. Like I've lived through the stresses of like having to make those decisions. And believe me, like I had people way back in the day when instant messenger was a thing, like send me all this hateful stuff being like, your dad sucks. Like he doesn't know what he's doing. I hope he gets fired. I hope you get hit by a bus. Like, you know what I mean? Like that dude, all he cared about was winning. And was like not afraid to go for it. And I guarantee you, if there's someone who's not afraid to go for it and not be patient and, and worry about the politics of like 
oh, let's rebuild. Because you know what teams that, that often rebuild all the time? They're just they're guys that want to save their jobs for a little bit longer. Because it's easier to pitch that to an owner and be like, well, look, it's going to take us four or five years. Like, give me some time here to lay the foundation. Jeets doesn't care about that. Like, Kim Ang is not here for a puff piece. Like, she understands the pressure that's on here. And if, like, she doesn't do well, she's kind of setting back, like, a whole generation of female front office employees that have a dream of wanting to do what she's doing. So, like, it's kind of a, a big deal that she wins instead of being like, well, let's check back in in four years, all right? And then I'll let you know how things are going. So have faith in the fact that, like, these people want to win as badly, if, if not more than you. And so when you're like, why isn't Diaz playing every single day? Why isn't Sanchez getting two months? Because, like, they can't afford to go on a three-week bender. Like, they just, they just can't. Because three, week, three weeks where they go, I don't know, like, six and 12, like, that's the end of the season at that point. It's not that long of a season. You can't just go on a stretch where you lose 15 out of your next 20 and then be like, oh, don't worry. We can finish the year by playing 35 games over 500. Like that's absolutely bonkers to try and do that. So they're trying to hold down the Ford in Miami. They're trying to get things better. I don't know where they're going to finish at the end of the year. It might be a situation where it's like a situation part of me where if you can just get in and get hot, like, hey, Look at the last Marlins World Series, right? Like you seem to have something down with the division means Jack. So I, I don't know. But the fact that you're still there and you're playing better and the fact that nobody right now has just skyrocketed in your division is the saving grace that can hopefully get you to what I think is going to be like an absolute 100 meter dash of a finish to the season. Yeah, absolutely Definitely. agree, man. Um, I know I know we're short on time here, but let me ask you and let's, you know, Let's try to, I'll try to do this one quickly. Our other fan question from at Beloit Rockers, um, which player or players on Beloit's roster um, are you most excited about seeing Pensacola later this season or in 2022? Yeah. I mean, I'm just going to limit it to one um, because I have not done like enough quality research on these guys. I do try and keep tabs on what they're doing, but like Griffin Conine to me is, is the one that I want to see come up you know, I get very excited by hitters because I think it's much harder for them. So when they start playing well, like, I think that that's something that's very real. And that dude is like an extra base hit a day. It feels like uh, for the snappers right now, the average is I think uh, under 300. I think it was last I checked around 260. I'd have to double check that. Um, but like, he seems comfortable for what they're trying to do down there. And batting average can be a little bit overrated when you're looking at the lower levels of minor league baseball. Like it, it's, it's annoying because when a guy's hitting 330, the reaction is like, well, yeah, it's high, like whatever. And then when yeah. he's hitting below it, it's like, well, like it doesn't matter, you know? So it's, it's like, you can't <laughs> win. It seems like when you do well on that point. But for me, I, I test everybody on what they do at double A because to me, that's the, that's the real minor league that matters. Like it, it just does. And I think that Conine, we will learn a lot about him and what he is capable of doing when he gets here. Because quite frankly, if, he, if he's hitting 200 and has a strikeout rate between 25 and 30%, then like, then it's not going to get better as he moves up. Um, but like, I, I love the way that he's playing. I love the way that I, when I watch just some brief highlights, like it's a good swing. It's not long. It's, it reminds me a little bit of pop. You know what I mean? His dad, Mr. <laughs> Marlin, like, and, and also I get excited about him because I do think there are intangibles to the game of baseball that, that, that matter. Um, and I'll take that boomer flag to 
planet wherever till I die. Um, he's been in major league clubhouses. He understands what it means to be a pro. And quite frankly, like, and I say this as respectfully as I can, the Marlins do not have like the greatest reputation in terms of like a place to play over the last 25 years. Okay. And I don't think that Conine will care at all about whether it's in an atmosphere, what, what the club is like, like he just wants to be a big leaguer. And I'm sure that he's got a great amount of love for the Marlins as well. So to have a guy who not only has the ability to be a major leaguer has been around clubhouses before knows how to mm-hmm. carry himself as a professional, but also like, I think would really thrive and love wearing a Marlins uniform. Like that means a ton, man. That means a ton. And that could be like a guy that you build around or if not build around, build with for like a decade. And when you don't have to worry about a player at a certain position in your major league roster for 10 years, like it becomes easier to draft becomes easier to develop. It becomes easier to trade because it's like, imagine being the tigers and having Miguel Cabrera for 10 years. Like, Oh man, the best available in the second round is like this first baseman. Should we draft him? Nah, we're good. Like we got a hall of famer over there. So like, let's go worry about another position of need. Um, so I'm curious to see what it's like when he gets here, because like if he also hits around 250, 260 and puts up power numbers, like dude, 2022, 2023, like look out, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's a spot where now you can start wondering, like, do we have to move actually guys and trade for more prospects and keep filling up the well, the way the Dodgers did you start doing that. Like that's a sign that winning times are around the corner. Yeah. That's, that's something that the Marlins really haven't done historically is have that lifer player. That's like that, that just on the team, his whole career, like you can point at some and say, okay, yeah, he came back Conine, whatever, but you know, it, it's like, historically they've just been that turnover club that just brings in new guys and trades away these great players for fire sales or whatever they do. So yeah, to hear you talk about, about Conine as a guy who could potentially stay around for 10, 12 years, that would be amazing. Well, and I, and I say that also like, again, with your old ownership, I'm not, not going to say anything because who knows who listens. And I certainly don't want to get myself necessarily in trouble, but like I said this, I think in the first month of the season, I mean it now, like I really feel for like the diehard Marlins fans, like, the way the team was run previously was done in a way where it was like, not only did they not care about you, it almost seemed like decisions were made to actively hurt you guys. And like, I hate that. I hate that for any club because like all we do as fans is live, breathe and bleed like our colors. Like we're checking every day. We're reading articles. We're there in the good times and in the bad. How do you, how do you then be like buy season tickets to our team? Like, why would I do that? You guys just burned our team to the ground. Like, and this was the thing they did over and over and over again. Like, I'm sorry to bring up Miguel Cabrera, but like, what the hell, man? Like this guy is arguably, in my opinion, top three greatest right-handed hitters who've ever lived. And like, if you told me, and of course you don't know this when you draft him, but if you told me like, Hey, you're going to have like a perennial all-star every day at first base, like, would you keep him for the next 15 years? You would be like, Yes unless you just could not afford to pay him. And I think the Marlins could have afforded to pay him, but you know, they chose not to, I think like, and my fandom for the Arizona diamondbacks has been like, like, you know, all over the place in the last lifetime, but with Paul Goldschmidt, cause someone could hear him say like, well, then why would you trade Paul Goldschmidt? Well, my answer for that would be the timing of his contract going up was around the timing where the diamondbacks were not going to be realistic competitors for the division. And so at that point, like, that's a business decision. They could have afforded, uh, excuse me, afforded to pay him 
and keep him for his entire career. And I think they would have loved that. But I think they also had a lot of respect for Goldschmidt, where it was like, you should be playing for a winning team and get your money. And we can only give you one of those two things. So like, thank you for everything that you did. And what does Goldschmidt do in return? Right. He takes out a full page ad thanking the Diamondbacks, you know, for everything that they've done. I think that the Marlins could have easily been very competitive, especially when you look at 97 and when you look at 2002 for a few more years. And instead it's just like, nah, we don't want to do that. And so again, I'm sorry for talking for like an hour and a half here, but like, I think that hopefully now you guys have the pieces in place in your front office where it's like, if we have winning pieces and I saw, I think it's on your guys's Twitter account, the, the, the pinned interview with cheater where he says like, we're going to start establishing like winning habits and winning mentality. I think that like part of doing that is paying guys who help you win. I think that's going to start happening. Granted, you're not going to see probably that $250 million payroll. That's okay. There's a lot of teams. I just don't want to see the Marlins again, sitting at like the pirates at 69 or $70 million or like at the Indians. I think there's something like their opening day payroll was 46 million. Like what a joke, dude. What an absolute joke. And I get that they're winning. So like jokes on me, I guess, but you know, look at the, look at the Rays. It's I love playing the biscuits because they always have incredible prospects, but like, I just know that like, Oh yeah, they're going to trade him five years down the road for another prospect. Like how, do you just buy a uniform that says front office on the back, like, and then have no year on it? Like, so That's it, man, you got it. That's yeah, exactly it. right. Absolutely. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, this is another topic for another day, but I guess it's kind of a measuring stick on where they're going to go with the Starling Marte decision, but that's another topic for another day. We'll, we'll skip that one. Uh, we want to get to one more before we let you go. We know you have a game to get to, we know you got to get to the booth, but the last question that we have for you, Chris Gradiola, uh, is just as a whole, you know, we talked about it during the show. You point at guys and say, hey, that's going to be a big leaguer. That guy's going to be a big leaguer. You've done it before with the Reds, with the Twins, with, you know, Kirilov, Arias. You could throw Jeffers, Astadillo, Senzel, Aquino, Luis Castillo, all these guys that had made it to the bigs from systems previous uh, that the Wahoos have been a part of. How does this Wahoos team as a whole, when you look at things like that and say, hey, these guys are going to be big leaguers, how does it stack up against other teams that you've seen in Pensacola? Um, it's probably the best pitching I've ever seen at, at one time. Um, when you talk top to bottom, like if we're taking starters relievers and we're trying to figure out like, you know, where you'd want to rank them to me, it's the best I've seen in four years. Um, and I, it's multiple major leaguers and the, again, the, the upshot on them is the exciting part because Luis Castillo, and I hate to keep bringing him up because like, <laughs> dude, criminal, just criminal, but like, whatever, um, when he Dan was, Straley, when he, Dan Straley, <laughs> all I'm going to say, yeah. <laughs> um, he, um, when he got here and I talked about it before in double a, it was like, this guy's throwing 9,900 miles an hour and he's getting like two strikeouts a game. Like, I don't understand what the problem is. And Danny Darwin with this kind of old school approach was like, look, Luis, like you got to do two things. We got to work on this change up. Because it's good, but not great. And you could have a great changeup, and that's going to make you a great pitcher. And then it, he was not pitching inside. Like, there's this weird thing where guys don't want to piss off hitters because it's like, if I, if I throw two inside, they'll stare me down or they'll finger point at me. And I'm like, they're already taking you deep and then taking their bat and throwing it in the upper tank because it's like, that's how they want to celebrate. So I wouldn't worry too much about like, 
the respect per se. Granted, don't throw a guy or throw it at a dude's face. That's that's obviously not what we want to do here. But he started pitching inside. Do you think anyone has any fun trying to turn around 101 on their hands? Like, of course not. So he starts grooving pitches on the inside and then like dropping a dirty change piece and it was striking out like a dozen a game. And like now, obviously, excluding this season, has been like an elite pitcher in the big leagues. So I bring him up because it's like the upshot on him was always like this guy could be a number one or a number two in the big leagues. And it's like, there's a couple guys where it's like you have all-star potential and then like fringe all-star potential. And that's not something that I casually throw around because again, starting pitching is like the hardest thing to find. Like I said, I don't know with Meyer right now, there's still a lot of work to be done. Like you look at the, you look at the numbers and you look at what he's doing and that's fantastic. But like there needs to be more consistency with the fastball. The fastball has got to get way more swing and misses because like, if you're not getting swing and misses here, you're not going to get him in the big leagues. That's for sure. Um, and with Jake Eater as well, it's like he is getting swing and misses and, and that velo is like 95, 96, but like it, it's gotta be three plus pitches in the big leagues. If I'm going to sit here and say that like eaters, a future two, eaters of future three like he's not unless he gets like an elite changeup, which he certainly can but like you're not gonna get that by going to the big leagues this year you're gonna have a full season maybe here maybe a full season in triple a and that sucks to say like why do we want to wait till 2023 to see jake eater well it's like well because when he goes up he'll never go down ever again and that's like that's what you want to see so alex the hitting um is a, when I say we'll see, I mean, we'll see if it's elite in the major leagues. You have a number of major league hitters on this team without question. They might just be your average major league player. And that's okay too, because an average major leaguer is something that again, it lowers the payroll. It allows a team to pay for a guy like Starling Marte, who, even though you didn't ask, in my opinion, I, I can see it either way. And neither way really makes me upset. Um, I'd love to pay him because he seems to love being there. He loves to, to see mentoring younger guys, um, which is just, you can't put a value on that. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many guys in the 01 Arizona team where it's like statistically not great, but like they knew their roles and they brought this, like this unmeasurable attitude towards a club that like helped that team, quite frankly, dominate some of the greatest teams in the early two thousands. And I think that Marte, if he wants to be in Miami and loves being there, you can find a number that works. That's awesome. If he wants to be here for five years and 75 million, that's not awesome. That's, that's probably not going to work giving out, you know, a five-year contract because we're seeing contracts really, they're like an anchor for so many teams when you're trying to get the money off the books or get a guy out of a position. So, you know, I don't know, but like, and if they trade him and you're able to get some added pitching, that's going to take you again from being, you know, already gluttonous in the minor leagues and just make it look completely ridiculous, then that's cool too. But it's all about assessing the value and getting it right. <laughs> I just want the Marlins to win, man. You know what I mean? And like, if they start winning and, and, and they trade them, then I'll be like, why are we doing this then? You know what I mean? Like what's, what's the freaking point here, fellas. And if the team isn't winning and then, then you got to make some business decisions and, and that, you know, as much as it sucks to see somebody go that you love and playing well, like, you know, it, it's part of the business of baseball, and you got to be okay with that too. Yeah, definitely. Some decisions coming up for for Miami. Now I'm looking at I'm looking at Dan right now. He's like, "F that man!" Like, if they trade him, I'm out. <laughs> Listen, man. I mean, <laughs> these guys have an opportunity to finally show they want to keep like elite talent because that's what he is. 
five tools. Like he has it all. Give him a two year, three year deal, make it a serious offer. And then we'll see. But I mean, it's just, we're, we don't have elite center field talent coming up, you know, blood day well, play center fielder. Part of that diamond, man. And like, it, you're talking about elite production at the major league level. And it's just like, that's why you kind of wish the other pieces fell in because it should be easy exactly. to get like your corner outfielders and your third baseman, and your first baseman to give you that, like, Oh yeah, maybe they hit two thirty and they're going to strike out, you know, 160, 170 times. But you know, at least you're going to get about 20 to 25 homers a season. And so when you don't get that, you feel like it's a little bit of a waste, but again, injuries have sort of been popping up left and right. And it's just, you keep shuffling the lineup. And so you don't know if you're going to play, you don't know if you're going to get this time. And that's, it's gotta be frustrating for everyone. It's probably gotta be frustrating for Don Mattingly being like, Jesus Christ, like, can I just get my starting nine and have it there for a week in a row? Like for a full series, can I not have to change things? Because guys, Hammy's not feeling right. Or he's got a quad or a calf or, all of a sudden, my guy's shoulder's a little bit dead. So, you know, that guy was like part of some really good teams with the Yankees and with the Dodgers where they weren't changing the lineup all the time. And <laughs> it's got to be driving him just out of his freaking mind, like with what's going on. But, you know, and, and it's also like, how do you evaluate this coming off last season and all these protocols and lack of time that guys had to play mm-hmm. with spring training? I mean, it's that stuff also matters in a game like baseball where like goodness, they like to throw the word tradition around as if it were candy. And so, oh, we're creatures of habit. Like, yeah, I know. But like, there's also been a lot of advancements in, I don't know, sports medicine and technology and baseball. So we think that we could make some adjustments, you know, left and right. But now I'm just going off on a tangent here. So I, I, feel, I feel your pain, man. I mean, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> I, I check the standings every day and it's like one week I'll be like, all right, like, here we go. Like, we're a little bit closer. And then the next week I'll be like eight and a half back. Like what the hell? Like what happened? So I don't know. By the way, looking at the lineup right now, exactly the same as the last two days. Can you believe that Alex? Let's go. Wow, man. I mean, <laughs> chalk it up as a W right there. That, might as well call it 10 zip. All right. Cubs going down. <laughs> Marlins. <Again. laughs> no. who, who do the Marlins have next? If you've got the schedule in front of you, where are they on still on the road or they go back home? They go back home. I believe it's. I believe it's the Nats. Um, yeah, I believe it's the Nats, and we're getting Scherzer's <laughs> start it's, it's coming not, back it's against Toronto. Um, and then, Toronto, then the Nats. Yeah, and then and then the Nationals. So yeah, a short two game. There we go. Gamer against Toronto. Two gamer yeah. against Toronto. Sprinkle those two two game interleagues, and then you have. Yeah, I mean, you gotta you gotta have both of those. I feel like against Toronto, if you're back at home, and then you know. You take I mean, you take two out of three out of Washington. It's it's reasonable. Like that, that that's not oh, yeah. an unrealistic ask. I think to do that, especially if you take this finale. Who's pitching for the Cubs? Uh, I think it's Alec Mills, but I'm not sure if he's going to do his full his full start or okay. or just an opener. He's been doing a few of those. We saw him with the Smokies. Uh, I think I think maybe as recently as 2019. But uh, yeah, I mean, if they swing the bats even remotely like they did. Uh, yesterday, I like this lineup. I mean, I like it. I, I don't see any holes when you start seeing the yeah, when you start seeing the Isan Diaz Sierras and Sandy Leones in there, that's like okay, you know, yeah. But I mean, this lineup that that he's put out this whole weekend Jazz, Starling, Jesus Aguilar, Duval, Miggy Rojas, Jesus Sanchez, Jorge Alfaro, John Birdie that'll yeah. play. I mean, that'll yeah. definitely play so. Definitely. All right. Well, uh, yeah, that was an awesome, awesome episode. Tons of great stuff that we dug into there. 
on not only Wahoos, the Marlins, baseball as a whole. Fantastic stuff, Chris, man. Thank you so much again for agreeing to join us right before you go to work in the booth. That was fantastic, man. I really do appreciate it. And we do really appreciate your time. So, so good. Um, we'll definitely take you up on that offer to, to get out to Pensacola when we can. Um, you know, hopefully that happens for both of us pretty soon. But yeah, I'll be there in September 100% with my bro. My for sure, man. For you guys, you guys got to get down here. And then off camera, I can hear Danny just rage about the Marlins. <laughs> For sure. So yeah, awesome, awesome stuff. We really do again appreciate the time. Super, super cool. Uh, yeah, if you guys don't follow Chris on, on Twitter, please do so. It's uh, at Chris Gradiola. You can hear his broadcasts on milb.tv. He does a fantastic job. You know, even when he's in sweating in press boxes with with no air conditioning, uh, a grinder <laughs> for sure. We love it, man. We love the life. Hey, listen, fellas, thanks for having me on. Anytime I can do anything for you, just let me know and. And please encourage people. Yeah, in-game, you got questions, tweet at me. I'll try and answer them. I love engagement. I think that's the direction that broadcasting needs to go. Um, you know, what I can't answer, I can. But I I'm done with this stale stuff, you know, reading off the stat pack and telling you what a guy's hitting on Tuesdays. Like, you got real questions. Let's talk about it. Let's jump into it. Let's get more engaged. Anytime, any place, I'm there. All you got to do is ask. You know why I love Chris and, and how he works? Because he reads out the velos. <laughs> he gives us the 98s and the 99s. He doesn't make his guess. Funny, funny story about that real quick. This guy, Mike Russell, who's a scout. He's at all of our games. He was just like, he's a friend of mine. But man, he was laying into me about like, oh man, I, I didn't listen to your broadcast yesterday. That was the best one of the year, you know, all this stuff. And he finally was like, it would just be so helpful if you could tell us what the velos are because we don't get them on MILB.TV. And I never thought about that because like when we do our in-house production, it's on CST or Blab TV, like we, we're going out over the air. We have a bug that has velocity. So I just assumed it was taken care of. Joke's on me. Like it turns out it wasn't. So now like I just all the time, if it's, if it's a velocity worth mentioning, I really try and just drop it in there in that way. And I, I'm not, I'm not a liar. Like I'm not just going to, you know, <laughs> try and make a dude feel better. Like, Oh yeah, that's 101 out of the gun. Like, no dude, you get what you throw. Like, so uh, I, and if it's, if it's a, if it's a 93 slider, but it's just a cement mixer, like I'll definitely let you know that as well. Like I'm not here to try and get autographs and jerseys from the players when they leave, but at the same time, like I'm not just going to slam them. Like I'm some sort yeah. of expert, like, we're all learning. We're all trying to get better. And who knows, maybe someday down the road, like I'll be in the big leagues talking with you guys or the fellas as well, being like, remember those dog days down in Pensacola? Like what a ride. Definitely expected, man. Definitely. So, for sure. So well, hey guys, enjoy. Thanks, man. I, thanks for having me. And uh, Juntos Miami. Let's go, fellas. Let's get a dub today. Let's go. Let's go. No. All right, guys, that's going to do it. Episode hey, guys. three, Swimming Upstream. Chris Garagiola, thank you so much again for joining us. And we will see you guys next time. Let's go fish. Mm -hmm.